But what if one little thing, if one little truth is off in that science, it uh, adulterates the whole thesis. So uh, I'm sure everybody listening here has had a class in science, and you know we're we're told the way it was and the way it is. Uh, you know, according to uh, who's the great French medicine doctor, medicine man uh, that did the uh, antibiotic. I can't think of his name. But that's what modern medicine is predicated on the fact or the theory that he was correct. And there is an antithesis to him. Do you remember his name? The great well, physician. You talking, are you talking about the Alexander Fleming? Uh, he was it starts the, with a P. Starts um, with a P. It just slipped me. He's the great French physician. Pasteur. Yes, Pasteur. And he said that uh, all these things that happen to you can be cured with medicine. And um, the Germans were very big into the uh, the medicine of of herbal medicine and homeopathy, homeopathic solutions. Mm. And so, uh, somewhere along the line, they got shoved to the side. And so I guess what I'm getting at here is they continually say how stupid you are because they fixed the polio issue with vaccines. This is their big claim to fame. Now, I'm wondering, has anybody in this group read up on that or know any of the facts of that? Because I I don't know a lot about it. Do you know anything about the polio thing? No, as to whether I could say that the polio, quote, vaccine, end quote, was a legitimate uh, cure of the polio, um, I think there's been enough information out there that have said that, that the polio actually began to diminish in the course of time by certain acts and actions that had already been being taken. But no, I don't know enough about it that I could say that I've done any independent research to to feel confident in what I would try to espouse about it. So, Well, that is what they hang their hat on, that one truth. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you a sack of dry roasted peanuts that that that's not true that the vaccine did not cure or do away with polio but I don't know that for a fact but what have we been told all along about this virus That it's uh, bigger than God. It has, isn't that what we've been told? 
if you boil it down to the very basics, Fauci's come out and said this thing is bigger than God. You better start worrying. Now, where am I wrong on that? Am I oversimplifying it? Mm, no. Okay, listen to this. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should, by all means, go up and take possession of the land. It's been promised to us. But the scientists in the group said, we're not able to go up against these people. Uh, we've tested them, and they're stronger than us, and we've got to follow the science. And, um, and uh, by the way, we measured them, and they're bigger than we are. So uh, we don't need to, we can't have the land that's promised to us because science tells us that we would be defeated if we were to go in there and take the land. Now, Doug, doesn't that sound like the science would prove that they should not take the promised land? Indeed. And then, this is what God has to say about these scientists. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make, I will make another nation full of people that believe me over science. But that's, I'm kind of saying that wrong because God is science. He is truth. He's not fake science. And so we never, we never, we're continually told we're stupid if we don't get a vaccine. Have you noticed? And I don't feel mm-hmm. stupid at all. I don't feel uh, stupid. No. Yeah, that's that's just it. I mean, I, I think you're saying it very clearly. It's... Um, to to believe and trust in the creator, of course, science does not believe in a creator. Although many scientists, after having studied science for a very long time, have come to the conclusion that there has to be something that we would call a creator because this stuff just doesn't get there by osmosis. And they can't even subscribe to the theory that it manifested after billions of years. Well, aren't we glad the lowest, the Lord, our creator is slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness and forgiving iniquity and trans- transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Well, I think... What we what we know is he has 
a line in the sand. I want to be on his side, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most definitely. And when you think of uh, a 70-year generation, three score and ten, um, we are 280 years, you know, uh, to that fourth generation. Uh, we could say just from our Declaration of Independence and our declaration that we the people are now in charge. And it seems pretty clear that the science is showing that there is a great judgment that's been occurring right in line with those words that you just espoused. The vast majority of the American people would, I guess, disagree with that, but it is amazing as you talk with Christians from day to day and those that profess to be Christians that while professing to believe, we either clearly do not know what's in this book that he's given us to believe in, or we actually just don't really believe it. And I am not sure that I know which one of those to attribute to it, I I think I'm going to subscribe to what you started with, the science. Uh I was was reading in the book of Amos, and for anybody that hasn't done that, it's not a very difficult read. It's, what, maybe 10, 12 chapters, 10, 9. Nine chapters comprises about three pages front and back, Um, But I got to tell you, you know, time after time after time after time again in the scriptural record, God is holding the people of Israel accountable. Now, maybe many Christians would say, yeah, yeah, we get that. We understand that. Clearly, we, we, we know that's in there. We understand that. But really, if you understand that, then why wouldn't you look at your condition today and say unequivocally that God is holding Israel accountable, even if you don't believe that you're Israel? Could you not at least admit and say God is clearly holding us accountable as a people, a nation? And yeah, you hear the Christians say, yeah, you know, we got to turn back to God. Yeah, God is judging us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Waiting there's for the not, 
Yeah, and they're either waiting for the rapture or they're glad that they're going to be whisked away shortly or they're, they're not going to be a part of it. And what it is in the scripture that tells them that, they're, that any one of us is, is, uh, is to have an expectation that we should be whisked away from the due judgment, it just, it's, it's amazing. And the more you look and the more you look to this scientific data here, you have to realize that there's an accountability in the in the creative order of things. So yeah, um, you know, uh, you know, you've got uh, you've got two children listening tonight, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So, if you told one of those two children, hey guys, uh, I've been down this road and I want to tell you this road over here is a lot better and I really I really want y'all to pick this this path. And if you pick this path, you'll live. Okay, so, so your two kids now, they, they have to make a choice, don't they? And the way they could do this is the way I would do it. I would think about all the good things my mom and dad had done for me. And I would have to come to this thought that, man, I guess they know what's best for me. They always have. They've always wanted the best. And then so on the other side of this, uh, father, mother, United States government, I cannot I cannot name one instance where they did something good for me. Can you? They're not protecting our land. They're not they didn't school me very well. They didn't I don't know what they've done. What do I give them credit for? Uh, a star-spangled banner, a flag? I was just going to say, well, at least you know you're free. Okay. Right. So they've given me this freedom I have. For the American dream, right? You mean the illusion you have. Yeah, the American dream. Let's go over that real quick. Hey, you just bought a car and a house. Whoopee. I'm I'm living the dream. What? Oh, you what? You're, you're kidding, right? No, no. You owe us a little bit. No, but I've already paid it off. I own it. I know, but there's these monthly payments we want. So, I mean, the house ownership is a bold-faced lie. Okay, you think you own your car as long as you pay us yearly and, you know. So there's a bold-faced lie. Now, let's all talk about Vietnam, 58,000-plus dead men, 150,000 maimed for life. We did that to stop communism. And remember, don't they forget, drafted... Don't for, and don't forget the Civil War, three-quarters of a million, 700,000, or somewhere on that. Yeah, and, and remember, the remember, everybody that remembers Vietnam was fought to stop communism. Am I am I wrong about that? Is that what you were taught wherever you were, Doug? 
Yeah, yeah. It was it you know, was we, the encro- encroachment of communism, you know, uh, across okay. the. Yeah, so these are real children of real mommies and daddies that were dead. Now, Castro, 20 miles over from Florida or whatever, he's okay. They're okay with that communist, aren't they? They're okay with that whole regime. That communism's good, but but Ho Chi Minh, was he the one that was leading the North? What was that president's name? Do you remember? North Korea or what? Uh, North Vietnam. Oh. Mm, Do you no. remember his name? Huh? No. Who was Ho Chi Minh? Well, I don't know. I'm sure uh, some of your kids remember their history. Yeah, it was Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh was schooled in the United States of America. Did you know that? This communist we were over there fighting against went to university in somewhere back east. Um, so anyway, my point is, Deliver mail. Is is that the one thing they know how to do? Deliver mail? No, I I think that's already been proved that it can be privatized at much better rates and, and accuracy than what they do. So what have they done for you, Doug, or anybody listening? What have they done to love you so much that you must believe that sticking this needle in your body and injecting it full of this fluid is to save your life. Well, Where? I, I think the answer, yeah, I, I think the I answer to that, I think the answer, unfortunately, to that is that, you know, we have an answer uh, ourselves, but when you look at the vast population of North America, um, clearly, they err on the side that that this government has done great things for them, and as a result, um, they believe and yet it will succumb to whatever is required of them by it. Um, that, that's that's clearly where we're at. I mean, we have created on this continent the North American continent, we have created a people who almost ceremoniously or certainly unabashedly or, you know, whatever adjective I guess we could give it, um, believes that government and this government in and of itself is a, is a government that is to be believed. I, I think it's, it's a product but, of the education. So, but what the they predicated on? What what yeah. did they do to show us how much they love us? Stop the Holocaust? Is that no, the one that, thing it, they did? That that's the problem. Is that there's no critical thinking of that question. Um, so clearly, we've done a very good job. Uh, or the, at least whatever this this governmental system has been has been 
has done a very good job of indoctrinating the people to believe that it has done something for them. And it is to be believed, it is to be obeyed, and, you know, this goes to the churches as well. Well, listen to this piece of legislation that passed the Texas House yesterday. Never, okay, the bill reads blah, blah, blah. Never, ever, ever, never, ever again will, uh, during a pandemic, will the government of the state of Texas be able to outlaw law courses during a pandemic? So we'll be able to tee it up. Have to wear a mask. Huh? Uh, that is impressive legislation. <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's going to show that the, governor a thing or two. That's the best that the legislature could come up with with They're a mad. bill? They're mad, Doug. They're furious. Republican-controlled House, Senate, and governor. They're fuming mad. Golf courses must stay open, no matter what. I would be embarrassed if I was down there amongst them, and that was the top bragging points. Top piece of legislation? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we did our... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say they've uh, they passed their uh, thing to make our elections safe. And uh, we've been threatened now. We've been threatened that um, we may have a giant exodus of major corporations because of that strengthening our validity of our voting. So... Sleep well tonight. Hmm. Yeah. So well, what's uh, well, you know, I guess. Uh, gosh, it's been about four weeks or more since we've heard from Isaac, and uh, it's probably been about that same number of weeks since we've heard from Rich. Um. Maybe we should find out what they have to say. Uh, what I was going to do was continue with some uh, essence of money. Um, so uh, I think I think maybe we could open the door to, to Rich and Isaac and and see what uh, what's been plaguing their uh, souls for the last four weeks. What say you, Rich? You back home now? No, had a little breakdown. Oh, no, not another breakdown. Doggone it. Well, we had you in our prayers, so I guess all I can do is give thanks that it happened when it happened. Does that sound reasonable? or as good a disaster as you could ask for. Everything else <laughs> went smoothly. We, we broke down in a good spot. We got a good tow truck driver to move this bus. 
and we okay. uh, they found they found out what was wrong with it. And it's only about a grand for that problem, but they found another problem worth a grand when they were fixing the first one. So. So two grand, and you'll be good for another two years. Good God willing. Yeah. Yeah. Might be the only way to get around without a COVID passport. You never know. Yeah, it very well could be. It very well could be. But, I mean, the cleanup after the disaster is as good as you could ask for. So. It could have been a lot worse. Could have been in the ten thousand dollar range. So yeah, and and as you said, it could have been in a worse area. It could have been a tow truck driver that wanted to take you for everything you were worth there, and that could have cost five hundred to a thousand just for that. Yeah, it was actually seven fifty. Oh, and then it it was pretty strong then. But I had towing insurance for that, so. Yeah. So I'm still praising God even in the disasters, so. Amen. He takes care of us. Well, how about you, Isaac? You know one of, you know one of the real reasons why they decided to uh, beat up on Vietnam? Well. I'd like to hear your version. They had one of the richest copper reserves in the world. So we were fighting for coffee. What? We were fighting for coffee? What'd you say? Copper. Copper. Copper, okay. It has vast copper stores, and the CIA decided they'd go in there the crap out of the country and steal the uh, whatever they could get the grubby hands on. Then they were getting drugs and funneling drugs back to the U.S. from uh, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, heroin, grass. They didn't have fentanyl in those days. So those are some of the things that our government's done for us in the past to help us out. Oh, they were really good to us. <laughs> yeah, okay. Russell started Russell started this fellowship trying to figure out what exactly it was that 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 this uh this nation, this federal government has actually done for us that we can be proud of. So, I can't bring a lot to mind. Yeah, you know, and that's that's just the that's just the cold reality, isn't it, you guys? I mean, honestly, if you're going to be honest with it and you're going to look at it, even like you said the Vietnam situation, when you think about it, well, what did they bring back then? In other words, we've got to have a successful mission. So in order to have a successful mission, we'll bring drugs back and we'll um, infiltrate the drugs or insinuate the drugs throughout all of the American uh, teenage and, and older society and uh, 
will get their brains fried on the drugs and and then you know they won't really care what we do after that so uh, i mean you know it it was it indeed to, another you know, time they had 55,000 troops there and yeah. um they they all came back with drug habits or a lot of them did mhm yeah and, and think about this think about this the worst they could do the worst thing you could be in the 60s and 70s is to have somebody call you straight i guess it's now he's a straight he's a square you know it was it was cool to be uh warped or twisted or skewed that well, came out of I went through basic huh? training. I went through basic training in 1969 and 70. I was uh, working on helicopters for years. And I know lots of friends that came back in body bags and missing limbs, drug habits, and VD. Decided they would hack away at a whole generation of um, of white guys. There were some black guys there too, but there weren't that many compared to the white guys. So there was Esau uh, beating up on Jacob, killing off but, the uh, flower of youth. Did Did you say you were in the army or some branch? Yeah. When you joined up, or, or I'm assuming you joined. Or were you drafted? I pulled the draft number of 35. They were taking what? guys up to 180. When Did you ever ask anybody as they were filling up the papers and all, what are we going to war for? Did they attack our borders? I mean, what did they tell you? And they how does that tell you much? They shaved your head and they beat you up. Well, they, I'm wondering they, how they really didn't have. How is that different than what they're telling us uh, to get the shot for? How is it different? Well, the you know shot I mean? thing is all carrot and stick. They beat you up and they close everything down and make you stand six feet apart. And then they say, okay, well, we're going to make it five feet now. And you you don't have to wear your mask outside. Well, I'm in Maryland at the moment. And 90% of the people I see walking around outside have masks on. They're into it deep down here. We were down in Florida for months. And it was beautiful where we were. You didn't see anybody with a mask on for months. But they did make you wear them in the grocery stores. But I heard that smart people wear the mask. Did you hear that, Rich? People from back east are smart. Oh, yeah, they're brilliant. They're well well reared. They're uh, I, I think the, worse, the closer you get to DC, the worse they are. Yeah, I don't know how we survived that attack on January sixth with all those uh, flagpoles. 
they were coming to shut us down with. Yeah, it was actually, it was all ridiculous. It was just fake news flexing their muscles. It was lies, lies, and more lies, wasn't it? That's all they do. Where's their credibility is my question, Doug. There is is no credibility. I've been (laughs) trying to, you know, and and this is the thing is that I I know that like um, uh, um, Pastor Weiland, Ted Weiland, I know he's he's trying to do what he can to um, to show the lack of credibility of this document. And last week when we started this 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 series on the essence of money. Um, what's going to turn out to be a series if we really want to understand something. And I probably won't do all of the thoughts that I have on each of these fellowships. I may record one of them and and just put it up there so that it doesn't become cumbersome that way by, uh, by that account. But I'm convinced as I was, I'm sure 30 years ago was convinced that Unless we solve this issue regarding money and the essence of money and and have a people who have that understanding, um, I'm not sure that we can change any of it. And here's why I say that. I recently watched a little short video of a guy in the um, uh, first responder and he was lamenting the fact that they are seeing people now which are having these issues, whether it's right after a vaccination or days after or whatever, you know, running their car off the road, all sorts of different things. And, and he spoke to this issue about it. He said, the counties and the municipalities are are receiving money, he said. And he said, they've all got a vested interest because of the money that they're receiving to handle all these things quite in accordance with the with the protocol that has been sent down. Now, when you think about that, that's what I've been saying here several weeks and months here in the past uh, few months as well when everybody was telling me in my area, you got to go vote for your local school board. You got to go get involved, get involved locally, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm sitting there going, what difference does it make if you get involved locally and you get a guy that is the person that you know is going to affect the best possible things in your school board that could possibly be affected? And every time he goes to try to implement and affect one of those changes, he has one of three things happen. Number one, he gets a lawsuit by the the um, teachers union. Uh, number two, 
the federal government files a lawsuit against the school district and says you're in violation of such and such because you're receiving federal money. Or number three, the state does it. And, and this is the problem. As long as the borrower remains servant to the lender, there is no change that any one of these states or any one of these counties or any one of these municipalities or any one of these school districts can affect until they are no longer servant to the lender. Where am well, I going wrong with that? Story. Say again? I'll tell you a story about uh, down in the Keys. The, uh, there's a paper, a, a, an article in the newspaper, and they get something like sixty or seventy thousand dollars worth of extra COVID money. So the uh, the town councils and the uh, the selectmen there, or whatever they call them, their bosses, they decided. Now this was last year when they didn't have any schools going on, and everyone had the masks on, and everything was uptight. But they took this $60,000, and even though the schools were empty, they decided to disperse the money for overtime for all the um, the select people and the, the superintendent of schools and the teachers' union and the teachers. So they gave away all this free money to get them all on board. And there was no overtime. There wasn't any schools going on. All the teachers were at home getting fat. So, in other words, what you're saying is that free money has an incentive. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you another story. Way back when we had the condom fight in our town and they were giving condoms out to 11-year-olds, and we sued them all the way to the state Supreme Court and lost. We uh, asked one of the people on the school committee, say, how come you're not independent? You know, you're not representing the people. And the guy said, it's not my job to represent the people. We represent the superintendent of schools. This was a guy that was voted in to the, uh, the slot. We thought he was all right. He was scum. They were all getting going away on these weekend junket trips and stuff for conferences and whatnot. So it's it's all a dirty pool game. This is part two in the series, The Essence of Money. In part one, I asked the question, what is money? And one answer was it was a medium of exchange. However, that may be descriptive, but it doesn't actually define it. We defined it as the cancellation of debt. I think few actually think of it in this way. If they did, I believe it would go a long way toward understanding some basic economic principles the Bible records more fully. In fact, there'd probably be a lot more discussion on the biblical principles, certainly. (laughs) 
if the professing Christian, at least, intended to understand it. I'm convinced that you talk to professing Christians about money, and it's just like talking to anybody else about money. They really don't want to talk about it. They think they know everything about it, just like you said, Russell. I got the house. I got the car. I got the payment that I wanted. Everything is coming up roses. When credit card yeah. debt up to my eyeballs, I don't yep. own my and, car. And I'm you want to try to, yeah, you want to try to teach somebody about this and the eyes gloss over and well I don't have the time and I don't really know that I understand it. The Bible was such an old book. I don't know how it could have anything to say about, you know, anything that would be pertinent to today, at least in these in these things. It's as if the entire Bible has only anything to do with your spiritual existence or your spiritual afterlife. That's really the essence of, of what modern-day Christianity has become, I guess. But So they can often be heard expressing that America would simply return to the gold standard. You know, patriots and stuff will say this. Much, if not all, of our economic woes would, would just disappear. And none of them even understand that. I, I remember 30 years ago, one of the first things that I had the biggest problem was with those who said we needed 100% redeemable currency. Because, you know, as, as young as I was and only a high school graduate um, in a public school, I wouldn't say that I was the smartest person. Um, certainly, I wasn't the valedictorian of the class. Um, but when I started to learn this stuff about the Constitution, the money that I expressed in last week's fellowship, this thing was really a problem to me because I did not understand how the money could be 100% redeemable for gold or silver. Because I didn't understand how we could possibly have enough gold and silver to redeem the currency 100%. And I remember Dan Pilla of Minnesota being one of the four, you know, or one of the great proponents that I knew in the Patriot movement. And he just argued up one side and back down the other. And, uh, you know, there I never had a conversation with him, but I remember the conversations that he had with others and the recordings that I had heard. He seemed to know what he was talking about. But in the final analysis, I still never ever saw any indication of how that was going to be possible. And as I say, the government or the civil administrator, 100% redeemable means anytime you wanted to take your paper currency to a window, and get the 100% redeemable gold and silver, you would be able to do that. But in order for you to do that, a few things had to have happened. 
Number one, the government or the civil administrator must have in reserve or on hand the gold and the silver necessary to redeem 100% of the currency. And secondly, the government or the civil administration must regulate the value, meaning the amount of the currency in proportion to the amount of the gold and silver that would be in its reserves. And in pre-1964, I believe that was somewhere around a third. You know, there was some uh, indication that that they were trying to hold somewhere around one-third in reserve of gold and silver in relationship to the money in circulation. Well, obviously, when you have a paper currency that is lent into circulation um, and the Congress is willing to borrow on the credit of Russell and Isaac and Jeremiah, the future generation not yet born, and and uh, and is willing to do that with impunity, without any compunction whatsoever uh, to abstain from that. Then I don't see how you could ever have enough gold or silver. And as I got from those, you know, late 70s into the mid 80s, and was looking at the the debt which the Rush Limbaugh's of the National Airwaves told us the national debt was of no concern uh, for us at all, and that that was just chump, that we could beat that national debt down in a heartbeat because of our economic productivity, then, you know, hey, you, you really had nothing to worry about. So anyhow, but in part one, we reviewed some of the prophetic warnings from Ezekiel as it pertains to gold and silver. And then we went in and reviewed a time in biblical history when the money failed at Genesis 47 and how Joseph secured Egypt's economic viability and worldwide status. And from one of these earliest recorded examples, God's given us a unique insight of basic economic condition. Joseph was positioned to administer the successful navigation through the persistent drought conditions. And I brought out some statistics. Gold production worldwide. The tonnage production for the U.S. and worldwide by country and geographical location. The amount of currency in circulation in the U.S. and worldwide. And we discovered there was a whole lot less gold that exists and has been mined in proportion to the currency in circulation, both for the U.S. and worldwide. And one additional consideration that we didn't look at was the total production in man's entire existence. I did a little search on that, and the website How Stuff Works used 50 million ounces over 200 years as a rough estimate of the total amount of gold that has been mined in man's existence. And obviously, it was obviously only mined in the last couple hundred years with any significant, uh, you know, intention. Certainly we have um, 
the the Spanish that that went into the South American countries and and attempted to to get all the gold that was already available certainly didn't go there on a mining expedition. But anyhow, 10 billion ounces and 10 billion ounces, you know, that that's not a small amount. It's a sizable amount, but <laughs> that's nowhere close to the amount of money that's in circulation in the world or in the United States. And when we were looking at that biblical record of Joseph at Genesis 47, we were able to ascertain that there's a very valuable economic model there. God shows us that economic value or monetary properties have to be useful and recognized, durable, you know, not affected by weather. You know, Joseph built those storehouses to keep that grain in. And it must be portionable or measurable or divisible. It has limited availability or scarce in relationship to quantity or volume and and weight. And Joseph didn't create any money. He administered the economic action of those who needed what Egypt possessed. He positioned himself to be in the position of those that would be in need to be able to facilitate that need, simple supply and demand. And this thought, I took a little time to try to see what I could find on it. There in the Gospels, the four Gospels, there are roughly 300 verses that convey principles using money or possessions in analogy. And the Bible itself conveys principles pertaining to money and property ownership in in various forms more than 2,000 times. But yet the vast majority of professing Christians know very little about these principles, much less talk about them or apply them in their homes. And I've done messages for Scriptures for America and and others in the past about these economic principles. And I'm surprised often that that there isn't more inquiry about them. Um, but what precipitated this, as I said, was I got two people that had come to me recently, and one just said, I don't understand usury. Why do you use that term? I don't understand it. I, you know, and and I said, well, you know, what would you want me to use? You know, well, if it's interest, then just say interest. But why can't I use a biblical term called usury instead of interest? But be that as it may, okay, I'll use your term interest. And then the second individual says he hears me talking about this stuff all the time and how I talk about even stock market and so forth, and seems to be moving along in their Christian growth, and they they it's almost as if there's a piece of the puzzle that's missing, and they want to somehow feel as if they've fulfilled that piece or that they understand that piece that's missing, and and can can go ahead and and feel good about the fact that they're you know they're not doing something they shouldn't do as Christians, but. 
uh, it seems to me that teaching the precepts in the schools, the churches, the civil administration, it seems to me that this is almost the greatest single necessity because in doing so, it would enable millions of people to actually see clearly and understand what in the world is happening to them. And, in, you know, we can talk about all sorts of other things. But it seems to me, as I said, giving that analysis and Russ and Rich giving the two analysis there in, 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 in Florida recently, as long as these people are tied to this money nipple, there is nothing. In fact, the states today, I heard on the news, I think it's 16 or 17 states have literally tried to enact statutory legislation, I guess, in order to stop any federal further funding of unemployment within their state. Because there's 800, I think it was North Dakota said there's like 8,000 jobs that are available and there's 6,000 people on unemployment. It makes no sense that you got 6,000 people on unemployment and 8,000 jobs that aren't being fulfilled. And so here's here's the you know here's the situation where again. As I say, until the states, one of these states or all of these states stand up and exert and get off of this proverbial federal nipple, there's virtually no way of ever turning back the clock on any of this or having any kind of a, quote, you know, revival of, you know, the states, much less a religious revival. And I always always used to look at, and still do, I don't mean to say that I don't, but I would look at these things that I read in the Bible more economically, I guess, than maybe a lot of other people did. And I don't really know why I've got no you know, training and economics or anything else, but for some reason I seem to be very interested in the the economic aspects. And <clears throat> when you look at the Bible as an economic textbook, I honestly don't know why Christians don't look at it that way. It seems as if the only way a Christian looks at the Bible is is spiritually and I just think that that's missing the whole point because whether you're atheist or agnostic and you want to acknowledge and don't want to acknowledge that God is the creator of the universe there's one immutable law here that just sticks out and that's the law of production you cannot do anything in a society without this law of production. The the family unit itself is a model of production. One of the first things that God said was, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. <clears throat> well, that's an, that's an economic function. 
because you're required to produce and production requires servantship and stewardship. You're going to serve the children and steward the children. And that, that's just a basic economic thing. And so I, I looked at God's labor, and I, you know, it says that he labored for six days. Well, he produced, or his output had resulted in production. And there's no one that can remotely attempt to argue the insignificance of that value of that created universe and how it has enhanced our existence. God's labor and his production that he endeavored in this created universe and our earthly existence had significant value and still does. It produces day in and day out. And so when we see that something has value, others will desire it because of its value. And I thought about this with the case of Adam in the garden. You see, he had all of this value at his disposal, and he knew nothing else of, of it. And in fact, in Genesis 2, when he was told that he was going to till and dress the garden, he hadn't fallen. So there's many in the Christian community that looks at work as a curse. And it's entirely not true. It's just another one of these things like Russell said, where you're going to predicate something upon a false belief to begin with, but using it as the foundation of truth. It's just not true. So we can understand that when, when God had produced something of value, naturally ownership attaches to it. And I'll prove to you that that's what happened. God espoused a first principle of the production by declaring the earth is mine and everything in it. Exodus 19.5, Deuteronomy 10.14. Genesis 14, 19, and 22. Psalms 24, 1. 1 Corinthians 10, 26. Leviticus 25, 23. Job 41, 11. And don't forget Isaiah 45, 12. The value of God's labor is incalculable. No one could remotely argue that this created universe is insignificant to our existence. The earth and everything in it is desirable or useful in one respect or another. It's indispensable relative to any endeavor that we would seek to do. And because of this value, we harness or access or utilize the components of the creation for our service, our usefulness. It's, it's man who has taken this toolbox of divisiveness and relied on it incessantly 
and it's got to be scrapped for the biblical principles which should be formulating the foundation of the economic societal model. The church is absolutely silent on this. Divine laws of stewardship, you know, there's two principles that we learn in the biblical record. Stewardship and servantship. And that's the house rule of God's creation, the stewardship. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I don't care if you're the staunchest agnostic. You didn't make this thing called the creation. I don't even care if you think it happened over billions of years. It's just amazing to me. So, uh, you know, I suppose that's something that most don't even feel like needs to be said, but I wanted to just put our thoughts back at that six days of labor and, and think about that production of God. The first thing that happens in procreation is those children are yours. They're not somebody else's. They're not the state's. They're not even your neighbor's children. They're your children. And so Russell asked the question, you know, how is it that people are out here just, you know, getting this this vaccine? Because they're children of the state. This is what the church has even taught. Obey government. Governments are put there by God for you, even though they go out annually and vote for people. That makes no sense to me. How is it that God is the one who appoints our leaders or puts these governments in position, and yet you go out and you vote them into office? I, I, I don't get that. That doesn't compute. There's something wrong with that. Now, if you were operating under a true biblical model and you were appointing people in accordance with the will of God, that would be a different situation. But that hasn't occurred in America since the 1600s. You know, I don't know whether I'm going to go here at all this evening or not, but I was so, as I got into Amos here this evening, because something brought me back to that. I I did a message for Scriptures for America several years ago after the pastor had died and and it was on the book of Amos. And as Christians, we just simply seem to reject the idea that judgment begins at the house of God. And as Christians, 
that judgment is going to begin at every one of our houses because that's what he's commissioned us to be. Like him, fulfilling his will, exemplifying his will, portraying that will, sharing it with others, constantly reverberating the Great Commission to show people why taking no usury of your brother is important, having a release every seven years and a year of jubilee for every seven sevens of years or the 50th year of jubilee. Now, I can't understand why we as a people would want to trade in canceling all our debts every seven years and getting any land or anything back that we had, quote, mortgaged or that we had let out to procure a debt that we owed and would not be able to return to the land that was given to us at our birth. And what a difference would it be that as every person was born, they were giving, being given a portion in the land. And what a difference it would make if that land could not be taxed because God does not provide for a tax on the land. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If he doesn't provide a tax for it, but he does provide the levy against production and only a certain amount of production or I should say a certain amount of levy against production it's just it's mind-boggling that we as Christians would not be so interested in this that we would want to search it out to such a degree that we would apply it and that we would overthrow such customs as we see here in America that are enslaving our future generations. I I, I mean, I look here as a father myself and I say, I don't know what to say to my children about what it is that they are conceivably responsible for in these ensuing years. I mean, Russell, Rich, you and I, we're not getting any younger, man. Unfortunately. And I I, I look here at this and I say, you know, what in the world If I were, you know, to breathe my last tomorrow, I can't tell you how angered and how saddened and sorry that I would be knowing that my children's children are going to be strapped with something because of our fiscal irresponsibility and and. We can blame whomever we want to blame in this thing. 
But the point I'm trying to make, as I said, I don't know where I'm going to go in this because I got notes in notebooks up, you know, and, and, and I'm at the book of Amos and I'm sitting there reading that again this late afternoon here and I'm saying, the judgment that God pronounced He pronounced an entire judgment on nations all around. All around him. I'm going to give you a synopsis here from, a, from Amos. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four. Well, what I should do. He's he, he's got something to say about four nations. Nations to the north, nations to the east, nations to the south, and nations to the west. And then brings the final one to Judah and Israel as well. And it, it just is so profound watching how he's He's declared it. When you Syria is is accused of of cruelty, violence, atrocities at one three. Gaza, which is Philistia, is accused of slave trading. He took captive whole communities and sold them. Tyre, which was the greater Phoenicia was accused of breaking a covenant or treaty treaty because she disregarded a treaty of brotherhood. And then you have Ammon accused of imperialism and stuff because he ripped open the pregnant women there at Gilead in order to extend his borders. Now, when you think about ripping open the, the pregnant women to extend the borders, I think about the abortion in the land because it is extending not our borders but it has ripped open the wombs to stop the progression of Jacob Israel's progeny and is extending the borders of wickedness all around us and so so there you there you have just a quick synopsis of what God is saying there in the book of Amos. And it's as if, and then as I say, he's going to come to judgment on Judah there at two. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions, I'm at two, four. Three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies cause them to err after the which their fathers have walked. I'll send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour, devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Now, we know all this happened. Verse 6, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver 
and the poor for a pair of shoes that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. God constantly is after us. It's always an economic thing that is occurring. The economics of it is injustice, he says, the oppression of the people. And yet the only thing the Christian can talk about is their personal salvation. You know, there are 500 scriptures on prayer. And there are 500 scriptures about salvation. And there are more than 2,000 scriptures speaking to issues of money or in relation to money or in relation, and I don't mean the word money, I mean economics, frankly. I want to give you the definition of something here. Webster's 1828, economy. Definition number one from the 1828. Primarily the management, regulation, and government of a family or the concerns of a household. Economy. Russell, how's your economy? Uh, Definition number two. The management of pecuniary concerns or the expenditure of money. Hence, definition three, a frugal and judicious use of money. That management which expends money to advantage and incurs no waste. Frugality in the necessary expenditure of money. It differs, excuse me, differs from parsimony, which implies an improper saving of expense, economy, includes also a prudent management of all the means by which property is saved or accumulated, a judicious application of time, of labor, and of the instruments of labor. Four, the disposition or arrangement of any work as the economy of a poem. A system, five, a system of rules, regulations, rites, and ceremonies as the Judahite economy. Six, the regular operation of nature in the generation, nutrition, and preservation of animals or plants as animal economy, vegetable economy. Seven, distribution or order of things. I think there's one more here. Yeah, two more actually. Judicious and frugal management of public affairs as political economy. And nine, a system of management, general regulation, or disposition of the affairs of a state or nation or of any department of government. That's economy. So since the Bible is 85% to do, do with civil administration, definition nine, the system of management general regulation and disposition of the affairs of the civil administrative state or nation or any department of government would certainly be 
within God's purview and certainly within the purview of a of a of a biblical record that he would give us. So I know we're almost approaching nine o'clock and I haven't given very much here on this essence of money. And as I say, there's many ways in which to go about this and many particular things to look at. And I know all of us will sit here in our hearts and say, how do we do any of this? We can do it and manage it within our own households, but we're relatively in incapable in many respects of having it be on a grander scale such as with our entire nation which we would all love to see because we're all affected by this improper economy of this system that we're under but in order to change the minds of people these people they know how to change people's minds. As Russell started out, why do we have all these people willing to believe lies regarding a, a, a shot? And yet, I think that there's probably some truth to the fact that there's probably less people that are actually on board with it than there are, but there's a great number who are. So I don't mean to minimize that, but but this is what they intend to do, and they intend to do it again. Um, so it's hard for us to see how we can do that, but all I can do is try to encourage us to think more about them, to talk more about them amongst ourselves, and to look at the applications of it and um, employ as many of those principles in our daily lives individually and within our family units as we can and by talking about them with other people it they start learning them and this is what this is all supposed to be about and as i said several weeks ago the whole purpose for doing a a fellowship like this was not so that everybody had to just listen to me or something else. It was truly in line with the scriptures, which, which was that let man want one man speak and then let others also then come in to the, to the conversation and, and confirm and attribute. And that was the, the whole idea behind trying to do this where we would have more people saying gosh you know you guys are talking about things that that you know we all should talk about you know and as i said i use the example with pastor peters of you know talk radio you know getting people to start talking about things and so forth but i have found that that many within the christian community perhaps because of work and schedules and everything else, they're lacking the time to diligent study. Um, that's not a condemnation I'm throwing out. It, it's, it's a fact that I see. Um, there's, there's difficulty in other ways that I see 
where people you know, spend the time to do that. And so, like I said, I, this stuff is all on my mind. I, I think about all these things like you guys think about things daily too. And so I, I thought I would try to address this issue about money and it's not something that you can just do and say, well, the Bible says, that's what I said, I can go out here and I can throw out the six or ten scriptures dealing with usury in the Bible and say, there, that's what the word says, take it or leave it. But I know that that's not the problem. The problem is that we don't understand how to make it applicable in our lives. And in some respects, we make it applicable because we're not in debt. We understand those principles and so forth. But the vast majority of others out there don't and are not. And maybe that's just the way that it's going to be, that there is the remnant who gets it and does that. But in that same sense, we preach to one another so that we stay grounded in it. And even our extended families and our children and children's children will learn the things because we talk of them. And we've laid the foundations and brought them into application to our homes today, if that makes any sense. And I know I'm up against the top of the hour here. So does anybody have any comments or anything about where they think, you know, they would like to go in a study like this? Or, you know, things that, that, Maybe they would like to get into discussion about. Anybody have any comments here that's joining us this evening? I have a book somewhere that I read several years back. It's about, uh, I think it's the wisdom of Solomon and the parts of the Bible uh, that are talking about uh, how, how to achieve success, basically. And I, I might dig that up and page through it next week. And I mean, it's I, I when I read it, my impression was, well, a lot of this stuff is, you know, the Bible is not just all about success. So it's not, I don't know that it's the best example for a book on the topic, but there's a lot of interesting ideas in there still. So that might well, be an interesting I, aspect to explore yeah. here. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what you'll find. You know, you have to always look at what is the purpose behind such a book. Is it is it is it the promotion of money? Is it the promotion? So those things are always potentially hidden in the writer's intentions. So, but yeah, you talk about, for example, um, public work. Any of these public works could be done, and um, any of these people who work um and and solomon had a conscription of time in service and time out of service which can be done anywhere in america or any other country for that matter is that you can have a certain number of days or out of a week or weeks or months or whatever where you work in the service of the civil administration for public works needs and so forth you can be given a tax certificate which means that that which you labored for, uh, a portion of it, is able to be used for any conscription of tax that would have been imposed by a biblical society and under a biblical model. 
And so a portion of those wages, obviously you would recognize that a person needs some wages to sustain other things. But that, that being said, I just realized my own error as I began to say it because if you have a tax certificate, it doesn't necessarily have to be only used for tax because I could trade that tax certificate to Isaac and Isaac could use the certificate to pay for tax. But yet I traded it to Isaac and I got sheep and, and food for the freezer or wool. So in that same sense, we're using it as money to make an exchange. And Isaac says, well, yeah, I'll use the certificate because I'd like to, you know, sell a couple of these, uh, these sheep and some wool. And so I could use it for, you know, paying the, the tax that I would owe. So there's so many things that, that aren't even discussed. And so, yeah, when you look at a book like that, you'd have to really, you know, look at and be aware of possible underlying motives for sure. But there certainly may be things in there that, you know, that are cataloged and easy to access as opposed to how we have to normally pull things out and glean them one at a time from scripture after scripture or whatever. So that's right. always nice to have that, you bet. So yeah, I would say that would be a good idea too. And and as I say, I don't know whether anybody has any interest in this or not. And just because I got approached with a couple of questions and I want to address it doesn't mean you guys should all suffer through it. <laughs> well, I for so, one want to learn everything I can about money. So if you've got more information, keep it coming. All right. All right. All right. Well, we'll we'll continue to do that. I, I was really kind of hoping Esther might uh, might uh, drop in here again too, because um, you know the young generations obviously need to do that. But we have archives available, and so we'll send out archives. And um, uh, so I guess we'll keep tackling this subject here, and I'll come at it with a few more things. And then we probably better. You know, as I say, I might just do a couple messages, and then we can have some conversation on the messages as well as additional fellowships. You know, and expound upon some things that I that I might do, just to get a lot of information out that people can digest and consume. And as I say, I've done this over and over in mind. I may listen to something four or five times in order to get the best understanding of it or to get a better understanding of it and then because we all walk we all do things we all have idle time we all have work time and we can't always give our full attention to it all the time and by just doing it uh, over again I get to have a little better sense of it and that's just me because I I don't always sit down and just spend an hour listening to something that that I may have heard or pastor's messages or anything else and he's done some messages on economics over the years um, I know I've listened to a couple of them so but at any rate I think until we can get a handle on this and try to get our people to understand they'll never understand why human nature is hey if I can get free money then why should I work and that's essentially what happened to Adam you know when you really think about it Adam was told hey you know, there's something else over here. If you take this information over here 
you know, you'll be something that you're not now, or you'll have something that you don't currently have access to. And just by that, that right there, he was seeking to have a change in his economic position, basically, or his economic status. And as a result of it, it proved to be very faulty and very destructive. And so it's the same for us. We have these same tendencies to want to get more for less, so to speak, or to not have to work. And I don't, I don't think that's inherent in all of us. Obviously, mankind has that propensity, but a lot of us, you know, have already learned that 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 just doesn't work and we're just not made that way and we don't want to operate that way but all right i know it's after nine so how about we close in some closing prayer and i'll give the floor to anybody go ahead yeah Uh, dear lord we thank you for giving us this venue together this evening and every 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 week that we do and we thank you for this message and uh, as we dig further into this topic we ask that you'll open our our minds and our hearts grant us wisdom as we approach this and lead us each individually to information in the Bible that we can uh, present together as a group in the following weeks that we we meet we also ask that you help keep this illness that's moving through the world from us and we thank you for doing so so far in jesus name amen lord teach us how to abolish fear in our lives lord there's nothing you can't do but we have no fear of what our enemies might do to us, Lord. Continually help us, reinforce us that we remember that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Yes, Father, and I pray for each of our own economies, Father, that this world is seeking to destroy. Um, Father, we just pray that you teach us the ways to to manage it more successfully and uh, to be able to uh, share with others the truth and the wisdom of your word as it pertains to our individual economies. Father, we know the world is doing things that is devastating to our individual economies. And so, Father, I pray that you continue to bless each and every one of us here and those, Father, listening to archives and those that are yours that trust in you and seek after you that continue to guide and direct them into the ways that they'll be able to continue to operate and to function within your will. So I ask this, Father, and bless the holy name of your Son. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, man. Well, good evening. And as I say, I'll do what I can to put some things up here and uh, we'll go from there. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night.